Catching up with Kim Bopney to discuss incontinence was an enlightening, enjoyable and educational conversation. Incontinence in women is usually associated with women who have recently given birth, but as estrogen levels decline with age, incontinence rears its ugly, wet head. Did you know that half of women over 50 experience incontinence, but most haven't even talked to their doctor about it? Kim Vopney is a self-professed pelvic health evangelist, and she's also known as the Vagina Coach. I hope you enjoy this discussion between Kim and I on incontinence. All right, so with taglines like Every Vagina Needs a Coach and Join the Buff Muff Challenge, I'm super excited to welcome to the podcast today. We have Kim Vopney. Did I say your name right? You did, yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and you're in Vancouver, Canada, and I'm here in New Zealand, and I feel like we we are both on each other's bucket lists for travel. Yeah. <laughs> I have lots of Canadian friends. I mentioned this to you, and um, very easy to get on with Canadians. I think. New Zealanders and Canadians are kind of similar and then you've got Australians and Americans kind of similar. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way we see it. Um, yeah. Kim, you specialize in helping women um, with pelvic floor strength. I'm going to actually hand that over to you so you can explain what you do. But our backgrounds that are similar is we're both in fitness. We love fitness. We love health, wellness and helping women. Um, and so if I can hand it over to you now, and, and if you can share a little bit about your background, how you got into fitness, and where your direction took you today, to what you're doing like on the daily, you've got a huge following as the vagina coach. And um, I'm super excited to hear about your story. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think like a lot of entrepreneur people, it's, it's never a straight path. And it was never really something that I completely planned. Uh, so I had I played sports as a kid. I always had a passion for health and wellness and fitness. Um, after university, I started, I became a personal trainer and that's kind of where it started. So I worked as a trainer for a number of years. I taught fitness classes. I worked with everybody from, you know, young people who were doing boxer fit classes all the way up to seniors who were doing, you know, osteoporosis type classes in the water. And, and at the end of all, well, what became the end, I was kind of burnt out. I didn't specialize in anything and I just was I was jumping all over the place. So I left the fitness industry. I went into human resources, which I really loved. And it was during that time where I was starting my family and where I was starting to, you know, be concerned about pelvic health. And I remember asking my midwives about a product. Well, I didn't ask them. I asked them about perineal massage because I, I was wanting to prevent tearing. And they had recommended this product to me called the Epino. And I researched this, I had a uh, background in fitness, obviously with the, the strength training and, you know, stretching all the things that would, would prepare you for a physical event. So I kind of had that background and I used this product and prepared for the birth of my first son. I had a great experience. I had a good birth outcome. I feel like the product played a role, contacted the company and said, Hey, could I be a distributor? Just like, could I sell this on the side? So it was meant to just be a side thing. I would continue working in HR but I felt like more people should know about this. So that's kind of how it started. And um, I had a second baby, used it again. Now I was like, okay, maybe I should start a website. So I did. And then um, not long after, so it was about, I don't know, I think my kids were, you know, a year and a half, maybe two and, and five, I think is about then. And I was laid off from my job. And 
just before that, I had said, I wonder if I could do something with this product, this Epino, more full time that would allow me to stay at home with my kids that would, you know, give me more flexibility because my husband, husband is a pilot, we could travel more, you know, we'd go back to see family because we were we had moved to a different city for uh, for my husband's work for a period of time. So anyway, that so I thought, okay, I'll start a website and I was doing this. And then anyway, after I had sort of planted that seed saying, okay, maybe in about a year, I'll quit my job and I'll focus on this. Three months later, I was laid off. So that was kind of like the universe saying, okay, just go do it now. And so I did. And, uh, you know, I started social media. The only thing we really had was Twitter at the time. There was Facebook, but that was still very personal. So I started to reach out to people who were talking about pelvic health. And I learned about pelvic floor physios. They started referring patients to me to purchase the Epino, which I now had a website for. I built an e-commerce store that was focused on pelvic health. And uh, then I started a second business called Bellies Inc. And we were wanting to optimize postpartum recoveries. And we were recognizing the link between the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall. So that kind of took on its own life. And my e-commerce store sort of was slowly growing. I worked on Bellies Inc. And um, that kind of took over my life for a while wrote a couple of books, um, started teaching courses to other professionals. And that's kind of how it was. So it was this evolution, I guess. Um, and it, again, it wasn't ever, I wasn't supposed to start a business <laughs> and I wasn't supposed to be a vagina coach. And it just kind of all was, I, I just became very passionate about what I felt was a missing link for women's health. And also being in the fitness industry, there were a lot of people who were struggling and there was a lot, well, it wasn't even misinformation. There just purely was no information about women's health and pelvic health. And I felt that that needed to change. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, when, as you're talking, I'm remembering a couple of personal experiences. Um, after I had my first baby, she's 16 now. It's crazy. Like that just yeah. flew. <laughs> I was a body combat trainer for Les Mills and a body combat um, instructor and the program was pretty high intensity and it still is. It's a high intensity mixed martial arts workout. And I remember going back to a class to participate, to kind of build my fitness back after about six weeks when I had the doctor's clearance. Um, I had a natural uh, vaginal delivery and I recovered really easily. Um, or I don't know what easily is. I, what, there's no yeah. scale. But for <laughs> me, it was like, oh, it was better than I expected. Yeah, so um, I, I didn't have any major tearing or any issues that I could see. But when I went back to that class, I was wearing these, this pair of black baggy pants because we were like martial arts style, you know. Yeah. And I was doing the class and the warm up and into about track two, there was a little bit of high knee running just to kind of get, get the heart rate up. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm peeing myself. What the heck's going on? It was the very first moment that I was like, oh, OK, so this whole birthing thing really kind of messes up with things down there. Yeah. And it was kind of embarrassing. Like, I remember feeling like I'm I was like 35. It was my first child I was like geriatric pregnancies um but I was just sort of like really confused yeah. how I don't know to describe it loose or relaxed my um pelvic floor must have been and just not ready to get back to that level of exercise so it, it was a light bulb moment like oh okay that whole kegels thing that's real I've got to really get back into that and that's all I knew back then so we're talking about nearly two decades I did right. manage to kind of rehab myself I'm all about the science I research things I talked to a physio and so I you know I did some pelvic floor training but I don't think it's anything near what you're probably offering today but that's sort of my 
my first experience with it. And I have a now experience, but I'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's it, that's very common for a lot of people. And I think that there and myself included where I I was fit and I went into birth and I had a good experience and I came out and I, I'm in the grand scheme of things. I had a few, you know, I had hemorrhoids that was a little uncomfortable, but I didn't have any tearing. I didn't, I ended up having internal tearing that I didn't know about, but I, I felt pretty good. And so then it was like, I, I had developed knee pain just before I got pregnant and I had taken the pregnancy off of running and I was just so, I was dying to go running. And I remember going for a run at two weeks and I was like, mm, this does not feel good. I felt lots of heaviness. I felt like it just didn't feel good. So I stopped. Thankfully, I listened. But it, I think there's this perception that, well, you just have baby. Like, it's fine. It, it's, it's so, the, the magnitude of all the changes that happen in the body are just, are given no consideration. So, and because we have also kind of the green light, and if people are fit already, they think, well, if that's the, the norm, six weeks, and because I'm fit, then I must be fine at two weeks or three weeks. And, and so I think that it's very common for a lot of people to just be like, I feel fine. And we may feel like we have recovered and, and things feel okay. Um, but when we start to load that system a little bit more with more intense activity, then it's kind of the body's like, you know, hold on a second. And that's where some people pay attention to those signals and some people don't. And what, what, what I'm trying to, I guess, promote is if we introduce the concept of the importance of pelvic health at a younger age, and if we had people understanding the need to prepare for birth, and if we understood more um, innately to recover, because right now it's kind of, again, like I was, I was like, well, I can run it two weeks. And we, we don't necessarily honor that need to recover and to, 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 to respect the need to heal. And, you know, it, we, it just wasn't even considered. And so I, I, and so I want that conversation to happen earlier, people to appreciate it, but then also recognize that it's, it's not just a period of time in life that we need to pay attention to our pelvic floor and then we're done. It's, it's for our life. We, we go through as people with vaginas, as women, we have menstrual cycles, we have hormone fluctuations, we bear children, the majority of us, we give birth, we go through menopause, like all of these things influence the pelvic floor a lot. And without the information, a lot of people are caught off guard, kind of like what you were. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Kim. And actually just talking about um, pelvic health, I think a lot of the time we do focus on the pre and postpartum part of pelvic yeah. health and that's kind of where the journey starts and I've spoken of this a few times in podcasts we have the period talk and then so there's in your life we know that you know you're going to enter puberty and then you're going to have child children or you may or may not but there'll yeah. be that childbearing part of your life and then it's like <laughs> what happens now like we're only really starting to have these conversations but they're not normal conversations we've still smashing through the taboos around what happens after childbearing of right. which is you know the third age or menopause menopause is so medical the name I like yeah. the third age and of course I'm using the tagline sexy aging because I don't feel like your life is done when you finish having kids right, right. but I think um probably more so, um, and I'm, I'm assuming more so, that you're having more and more conversations with women through their third stage around what's happening with their pelvic floor. 
So my personal experience is I'm back in New Zealand. It's awesome. I haven't found a gym to train at yet, but I'm close um, because strength training is really important to me. But I've picked up the running again. And part of that is to explore the beautiful parts of New Zealand. Um, A pair of running shoes in my suitcase is easy. And I love being outside. And I used to run. I used to be a runner. So I'm kind of taking up the running thing again. But what I noticed is, and I don't know whether it's related to temperature or cold, or it's my dropping hormones, I am starting to get little episodes of incontinence again. So I can run for maybe 20 minutes. And then I have mapped it out so I know where the bathrooms are on the run and luckily in New Zealand there's like lots of them (laughs) everywhere and they're clean um so that for me is like oh how freaking inconvenient you know that I'm telling my husband hey look we can only run this route because there's a bathroom here here and here um so yeah what what's going on help me (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not it's it's very common and and you're right so while I started my business working with pregnant people and trying to help them you know, introduce the concept while they're pregnant about pelvic health and help them prepare their bodies and ideally, you know, prevent tearing and a lot of the things that women experience. More people are motivated to fix a problem that already exists than they are to prevent a problem that doesn't exist. And so, you know, even though I transitioned into a, a postpartum recovery business, it, it was more the people who had, you know, I gave birth five years ago, I gave birth 25 years ago, who were coming to me asking, you know, okay, I know you do this, but can you help now? And, and so you're right. And it, it, it is something that as we approach midlife, so par- not everybody will go through perimenopause. Some people have surgical menopause and that they may not even have had the transition of perimenopause, but for the majority of people, perimenopause is sort of the six to 10 year period prior to menopause, menopause being one day, which marks the anniversary of no, no period. So 12 months without a period. After that is postmenopause. So as we're approaching, we have all sorts of hormonal fluctuations, and there's often an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. A lot of people have the term estrogen dominance. Doesn't necessarily mean we have more estrogen in our body. It just means the ratio between estrogen and progesterone is is off. And those those fluctuations in estrogen can influence many aspects of our life. And as we're getting closer to menopause, then. We may not still have lost our periods completely, but there's there's this kind of steady decline of estrogen production. production. Within our pelvis, we have lots of estrogen receptors. And when we we no longer have circulating estrogen, the tissues within the walls of our vagina, within our bladder, all kind of in around our pelvis, start to thin. They start to dry out a little bit. They start to, like the vagina almost narrows. And if, if you, so within our, the walls of our vagina, we have what's called rugae or rugae, some people pronounce it. It's, it's like folds within the tissues. And that's part of what helps us expand and contract for things like sex and childbirth. And as we approach menopause and we no longer have that circulating estrogen, those folds start to almost flatten out. So rather some people refer to it like a pleated skirt becomes a pencil skirt. And that then also, um, up in the, the tissues of the bladder, the, the muscles around that help from, like with, with the sphincter control start to weaken as well because there's less circulating estrogen. So leaks may have happened before or maybe they've just kind of been haphazard, but as we then have that decline, they start to scream a little bit louder. So the symptoms become more regular. And the important thing is it's very treatable. Uh, and the other important thing is 
kind of like recognizing the strategies that you're already doing. So you're planning your run around your bladder. And what that does is it gives power to your bladder and we need to take back control. So there's a couple of things that we can, we can do. There's bladder retraining, there's bladder diaries, there's hormone therapy, there's pelvic floor exercise, there's all sorts of things that we can do. But I just want people to know that it's never too late, even if you have been experiencing incontinence for 25 years, for 35, 45 years, even if you're post-menopause, 15, 20 years, it's never too late. You can absolutely make a change and you can take back control. Well, oh, that's really, really good to know. Can you, are you happy to share a few tips with me? Because <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. completely blown away um, by what you're sharing with me now. And it's like, wow, I, I, I actually want to go deep dive after this conversation, find out more about what you're sharing because we've only got like limited time. But yeah, what sort of yeah. some top tips that you can give me that I could investigate for myself to sure. strengthen my pelvic floor for running? Yeah, so when we have whatever activity we're doing, if we experience leaks, it is a signal the body is sending saying something about this, it, I'm not able to manage this, whether it's the length of time that you're running, maybe it's the cadence at which you're running, like the speed at which you're running, maybe it's your footwear, maybe it's, um, those are the main ones. So usually it's speed or endurance or potentially, um, like capacity of the muscles to react in time. So usually pelvic floor muscles need to react in time and strongly enough to close off the openings if there's urine or pressure that's create that could potentially lead to, to urine leaking out. So we need to work on a timing piece and we need to work on a strength and endurance piece. And so when I was talking about the length of your run, that's not what I mean about timing. That's, that's more of the endurance. What I mean by timing is the reaction time of the pelvic floor to close the openings off before those leaks can, can happen. Does that make sense? Yes. So usually what I recommend is if you, whatever activity it is, jumping, running, even walking, doesn't really matter, but usually I'll say pull back a little, so alter it somehow. Okay, so you know, you've planned it out, you know exactly at this time, that's usually when I start to leak and there's a bathroom close by. So then your, your endurance for the pelvic floor is say around that 20 minute mark. So you could go and you could run for a little bit less time and then call it a day. So not run beyond that point, just temporarily, just while you work to rebuild that strength and timing, yeah? Okay. So that's one piece. So you could kind of look at your activity and say, I could stop it, but I really love running. So maybe I'll just do it differently. I'll run less, less frequently. I'll run a little bit less distance. Maybe I'll change my cadence. Maybe I'll run more uphill and flat as opposed to downhill. Sometimes downhill is a little bit yeah, more troublesome. Sure. <laughs> and, and then, so that's one piece. And then the other piece is the retraining of, we can do bladder retraining and we can also do pelvic floor muscle retraining. So I always recommend every single person, if you have a vagina, if you have a vulva, you, you would benefit from seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist at least once a year. And this is something that I think, just like we go to the dentist once a year, go see the, the pelvic floor physio once a year and more if you need to. Have them assess your pelvic floor muscles for their ability to contract and relax. Um, and then make sure that you put in an effort of a consistent pelvic floor fitness program. And the, the way the programs that I do incorporate posture, they incorporate breath, they incorporate pelvic floor activation and visualization. And then we bring that into movement. 
So when I talked about the timing, the reaction time of the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor is anticipatory in nature. So it, it, it should be, it's expecting and planning for things that we don't even know, don't know we're gonna ha happen yet. Like I remember watching this video with this doctor who, who was analyzing this and it was a woman in standing in tree pose and he had wireless EMG recordings on her pelvic floor abdominals, glutes and inner thighs. And we were watching the readings of her muscles and her on this video. And just before, so standing in tree pose, took perfectly balanced, and all of a sudden the reading of her pelvic floor muscles shot up and then milliseconds later she tipped over. Her pelvic floor knew she was going to fall before she actually started to lose her balance. And that's a perfect example of the anticipatory action of the pelvic floor. We often lose that for from falls on our tailbone, from trauma, from pregnancy, from childbirth, from hormone, like all sorts of things can contribute to the loss of that anticipatory element. Once we understand how to contract and relax our pelvic floor, do Kegel exercises. So Kegels are one form of pelvic floor exercise. We then bring it into movement. So movements like squats, lunges, bridges, bicep, any type of exercise. When we incorporate that voluntary activation where we contract the pelvic floor just before we move, just before I stand up from a squat, just before I do a push up, just before I curl, a, do a bicep curl, it's reminding the pelvic floor, remember, I'm gonna exert a force. You need to be engaged to offset the increase in pressure. So we're reminding it and we're repatterning that. And then over time, the pelvic floor is like, yep, yeah, I got it, I remember what to do now. So it gets that timing back. Also, while we're doing that movement, it's whole body movement and it's incorporating the pelvic floor, we're therefore working on, on building that strength and endurance so we're covering off both of those pieces that can then help manage those leaks better um, and stop them. Once, you know, initially we're starting out with gentle, I shouldn't say gentle movements, but it's more static movements. And then eventually we start to add in a little bit more dynamic. So, um, you know, one leg hops or side lunges. So get adding in more dynamic movement and then progressing back to running, yeah? Yeah, got it. Last piece on there. The other last tip that I'll say is that's kind of handling the muscular piece. And then the other piece is the tissue piece. So especially as we approach menopause, when I was talking about the declines in estrogen, local vaginal estrogen is really, really effective. It can, it, for some people, I think the statistic 70-ish percent of people can and improve incontinence simply by using that. Now, I don't say just use vaginal estrogen and you're going to be fine. You still need to have that muscular piece there but local vaginal estrogen is very helpful and that helps replenish some of that lost estrogen that we don't, we no longer are producing and no longer have circulating. So it can help improve the, the muscle function and the, also the, um, the walls of the vagina. Um, that's more from a sex, sex and, and wellness perspective, but um, yeah. So those would kind of be the few tips that I would say, go see a physio for sure work on retraining. So once you understand how to do your, your Kegel exercises, do them and do them as part of movement and then also inquire about local vaginal estrogen. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm actually doing my Kegels now, but I'll incorporate yeah. them into my training. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so at least I'm like taking action right now. And the, um, the vaginal estrogen part, I'll look into that too. I'm actually going through a really unique journey where I am attempting to get an HRT prescription here in New Zealand. And I'm blogging about it, about the journey. Um, what's your take on HRT? I know this is kind of left field conversation, but yeah, out of curiosity and the woman that you meet and your personal take on HRT. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so I'm, I'm not a hormone expert, but I will tell you that uh, um, I've gone through my own personal experience with it. I've been doing a lot of reading on it because a lot of the people that I'm working with now are in that period of time where they're exploring it, potentially are on it or may have fears around it. I know. So the women's health initiative back from the late nineties created a lot of fear of, around estrogen. And so what never made sense to me was there's all these benefits of estrogen. Why just because we stop having a period does estrogen all of a sudden become dangerous? Like it never, it just didn't totally add up for me. So there's a few great books that are out. One, the first one I read was called Estrogen Matters. Yeah. And the one that I've just recently read is called Estrogen Fix. And Estrogen Fix talks about a period of 10 years. So from around the time you start menopause and for the next 10 years being your estrogen window where it, it's actually, there's an immense number of benefits for that support the use of estrogen um, therapy. So bone health, brain health, heart health, vaginal health, skin health, like so many different benefits. And um, anyway, so I, I do believe that there is a place for it. And now there are some people who may have estrogen dominant cancers in their background or maybe may have experienced it that, you know, that's examined on a case by case basis. But there's even some research that is presented in the books that talks about some people who have have actually benefited. So people with cancers who have benefited from it. So um, personally, I, I have benefited from it in my own body. I use vaginal estrogen. I also use uh, an estrogen cream. Um, if you have a uterus, you need to take an oral progesterone at the same time. If you do not have a uterus, then you can do just the, the estrogen. Um, local vaginal estrogen, so inserted into the vagina, does not have that same 10-year window. It could potentially be something that we take for life. It's more the either oral estrogen or the cream estrogen that would have that kind of 10-year window as, as far as research is pointing right now. So I recommend those as resources for people to start with. It helps debunk, um, you know, there was a lot of flaws with regards to the Women's Health Initiative that are now coming to light. And they recognize that, that it was not comparing apples to apples. It was using an unhealthy population well beyond menopause. It wasn't, it was not accurately performed. So it, it, it unfortunately, there was a lot of harm that came out of it because all the people stopped their estrogen therapy. And yeah, they threw it out. <laughs> Yeah, increase their risk, you know, lots of more heart, heart attacks and, and cardiovascular disease and, and dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, it's, it, I do think that estrogen can play such a valuable role in our longevity. So I would point people to those, those resources and knowing that I've benefited and, and a lot of my, um, not my, my patients, my clients have as well. Oh, that's so good to hear. So yeah, so I'm still on the journey to access it. And I think it's just a case of it's just such a new conversation for GPs, that there yeah. just isn't enough of them having the conversation. And it does feel a little bit awkward to rock up to your GP and go, hey, hey, I've had 27 out of the 34 symptoms. So I think I'm a good advocate for HRT. Are we good with this? And they're like, uh, no, we're just going to do a blood test first. I'm like, uh, not necessary. <laughs> Here's the 27 totally, yeah. symptoms. 
of which so, one of them is, you know, for me, the incontinence with running and um, the low libido yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, I don't need to feel like this. I am only 51. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would honestly, I would take estrogen fix to me has more research presented in it. I would take that book even and say, I've been reading this book um, and, and give it to your doctor to read and, yeah. you know, even purchase a copy for them and say, because there's, um, there's a woman who I collaborate with and I forget the, it was a Mayo Clinic study and I believe it was 7%. Don't quote me on this, but I, she shares this stat a lot that it, I believe it was 7% of the, the doctors that were surveyed feel adequately prepared to manage patients through menopause. It, they just simply don't have the training or the knowledge. So I think that it, a lot of doctors would be really grateful to have this because it opens their eyes to other possibilities for for people. Yeah. And the other thing to, to consider is there's a lot of functional medicine practitioners and naturopathic doctors who are able to prescribe, at least in Canada. So I don't know all the different regulations around the world, but um, but working with a, another women's health specialist potentially as a naturopathic physician. So I get my hormones, um, they're bioidentical hormones. There's also yeah. synthetic. So usually through a medical community, it will be the synthetic. And usually through naturopath, it would be the bioidenticals. And that's who I, that's who I rely on for, for my hormone therapy. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm still navigating in New Zealand, like what's actually happening. And it turns out that a lot of my friends that are a similar age as me have, have listened to the podcast and they've been able to access some HRT. So I'm like, yeah, good on you girl. Um, it seems like the UK is leading the, the way with the conversation, getting GPs trained up across menopause care for women. So that's good. It's only just a matter of time before it disseminates, you know, worldwide. Um, yeah, I mean, we're at opposite ends of the world with the UK and New Zealand, but I feel like I'm tracking the info that's coming out of the UK. And I'm pretty excited about that, especially the longevity piece, you yeah. know, like just, just knowing that you've got this amazing life ahead of you and you don't need to feel this way because yeah. your estrogen levels are dropping, your hormone levels are dropping, not just estrogen. Um, yeah. and that life could just be great it could be so much better and you know you just have to deal with these stupid symptoms on a daily basis you know forgetting yep. my children's names <laughs> yep. yes exactly What's it's so, that about? so common it's so so common I have a friend who um who she started a community called menopause chicks it's on Facebook and um the number like brain fog hot flashes <laughs> and vaginal dryness are the three most discussed top topics in in her group and there's a lot of people just, you know, as you're describing, but not everybody is in the position where you're like, I don't need to feel like this. A lot of them just accept that, well, uh, I've just been told this is the way that it is. And, and I think that that's really, we have to change that conversation because we have a lot more life to live. And, you know, we are now living a lot longer and, you know, we, we need to, we are learning more. And, and I think that we, um, we need to advocate for ourselves so that we have access to, to better preventive health strategies. Yeah, for sure. And another part is that we are that woman, that the army of women in the fitness industry, that there hasn't been anything that's gone before us to say, this is how you train and this is how you deal right. with this stage of your life, or this is how you, you embrace the stage of your life with these tools, with, right. the, with this is the medical part and here's the natural part and here's the training part and here's the nutrition part. And everything is so separate and it's a case of trying to pull it together and, and to live and breathe it and role model it as 50 plus women in the fitness industry. And that's right. why I think it's really exciting for people like us that we, you know, we're in our fitness um, and we're representing women that didn't look like us 20 years ago. 
Yep. You know? Exactly. So it's really, it is really interesting. Hey, you mentioned that you wrote some books and I always ask my podcast guests to recommend a book and, and in a lot of cases they have written books. So can I get the title of your books and I'd love to promote those as well? Yeah, thank you. Um, so one of them, my first one was called Prepare to Push. It's just up there. Yep. And, um, and that was, again, taking the principle of specificity from fitness and applying it to pregnancy and birth with a heavy uh, attention paid to the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall. And the second book was called um, Pregnancy Fitness. And this one I co-wrote with my former business partners and was published through Human Kinetics. So this is very much, you know, you know, fitness as it pertains to pregnant people. Awesome. And then my most recent one is Your Pelvic Floor. Yeah. And this one came out in March of this year. And yep. this one is kind of like a comprehensive through all life stages, all life cycles, pelvic floor, 101, it covers everything. So yeah, well, congratulations um, on that one. I saw that on your Instagram. So that's, that's yeah. absolutely fantastic. I think that that's the one I'll put onto my book club. And yeah. the estrogen fix. The estrogen matters. I actually posted last week for book club. So okay. yeah, we're on the same page with that. Yeah, um, awesome. That's so awesome. Thank you, Kim, for your um, vital information. I think this is so important for women to understand pelvic health. Um, I'm taking note to go to the physio <laughs> and have my um, once a year treatment checkup awesome. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. I think it's, it's you know, you, some people go, you may require a few sessions, but it, it, at least uh, at least once a year is really, really, really beneficial. And even yeah. people that are using like, you know, you'd mentioned the PeriFit or Kegel devices. There's even research to show the effectiveness. Those are no more effective than pelvic floor physical therapy, but the two combined can heighten that, the, the progress. So um, if you have access to a physio, I really, really highly recommend. Yeah, I'm going to search for that too, and I'll report back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much, and we'll keep in touch. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. I am loving these conversations with women from all over the world. I've learned so much and I want to keep learning so that I can share with you to help you navigate your way through this time of our life, to feel well, to feel good, empowered and sexy. I have testimonies every day from women that have found some comfort in the episodes and so I'm putting it out there that if you are loving the content and it's helping you, please consider subscribing monthly or even donating. This podcast is not a paid gig and I am doing it purely out of passion. I'm obviously not Joe Rogan who sold his podcast for $72 million. I'm a woman like you exploring how to live a long and healthy life.